Welcome, everyone, to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. Finally back in SF, and we just had an awesome interview with Peter McCormick. I've been trying for a long time to sync up schedules with Peter, but he is always traveling, always on the road, so it's hard to, to line up, but we finally got it done, and this was a really awesome podcast. Before we get into the podcast, let's talk about our sponsors. Haven App. If you guys have not yet downloaded the Haven app, you need to do it. It's a great place to buy and sell stuff using crypto. Uh, Because you use crypto, you don't need to sign up. You just download the app and then boom, there's the marketplace. Peer-to-peer buying and selling of stuff with crypto. The Haven app uh, does not take middleman cuts. So all of your, if you sell things, you get all the money. If you buy things, you don't have to pay any fees really get a good place to maybe buy some trinkets or some gifts or you know some things to garnish your home. Yeah, and it's been really awesome kind of seeing the app really flourish outside of the US. Like in America, I think a lot of us are really used to having eBay and Amazon and all of this kind of traditional infrastructure, but you know, Eastern Europe, Asia, a lot of this they just don't have this e-commerce infrastructure like we do. And Haven is filling in the gaps. It's like the Craigslist, but you just you don't need a bank account. It's freaking awesome. Um, really proud to have them as a sponsor and really proud of what they're building. Make sure to check out haven.app backslash POV crypto to get $5 in addition to opening up your account. Jumping over to our second sponsor, uh, eToro. Like I've been saying, eToro has been one of those companies that has really pushed the frontier on bringing new financial products to the market. They're one of the first traditional finance companies to become a crypto exchange. And now they're really pushing into the US and trying to bring smarter crypto investing tools to Americans. Um, You can buy all your favorite coins. Personally, I think it's just Bitcoin. But if you believe in others, you can get them there. Uh, You can get easy to invest in uh, diversified portfolios. You can even uh, follow your favorite traders and influencers and mimic their trading strategy. They're trying to bring really cool and easy to use investing tools to Americans, and they have a history of doing that for years. Uh, So eToro, again, really proud to have them on board. B.TC backslash eToro POV. That's B.TC backslash eToro POV. So that way we get credit for driving you to the site. Make sure you go there. But yeah, Peter McCormick, man, I feel like this podcast was a little bit about Bitcoin and crypto and mostly about life and the future and what is going on in the world today. Yeah, the valence is Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, but really we just talk about all the surrounding subjects around the ecosystem, kind of touch on like how Bitcoin has this uh, free marketing budget from all the content producers. And then we kind of connect that to how uh, concepts and ideas that people want to pay attention to also produce the demand for podcasters and content producers to create that demand, which means that they can get advertising. And we can kind of connect that to like, okay, all of these, all these topics that uh, people want to, to hear about aren't that, that need isn't being satisfied by government, um, government and centralized media entities because of their, you know, their influences with advert with, um, you know, uh, other corporate advertising dollars using podcasts and content producers like as a model to talk about the important things, Bitcoin included, but also things like Hong Kong. We talk about Peter McCormick's involvement in that world with what Bitcoin did, but also with his new podcast, Defiance. Uh, and it, it, Peter's just such a nice guy. I really enjoyed having him on the podcast, showing his his perspective. Uh, we, we really, I mean, he's not... He's not a, a, an opaque guy at all, but we really peel back the layers and, and see like what motivates Peter McCormick to do what he's doing. So I really enjoyed all of that. And without further ado, let's just get right into the episode. Peter McCormick. Everyone, super excited to bring you Peter McCormick of What Bitcoin Did, of the new Defiant News and Defiant Podcast. Welcome to POV Crypto. How's it going, Peter? All right, man. How you doing, Christian? Doing Good. Peter, we've uh, we've known each other for a, a little bit over a year now. Uh, yeah, it's funny it's taken so long to get you on here. Yeah, well, you know, I've been busy doing my own shit, and to be honest, I always think I'm a terrible guest. Um, I, I, I always think I'm a terrible guest. I, you know, I did that BSV debate yesterday, and I, I think I don't really think I give good answers 
off the oh man you know off the back like that i think i'm much better at asking questions because i get confused so easily <laughs> maybe you're just well, such a good host that you have such high expectations yeah maybe it's that or I, I or maybe i'm not a good host i'm just really dumb and therefore ask dumb questions and people like that maybe it's that <laughs> I don't know. I have to say that, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people that have negative things to say about you, but it's never it's never consistent. They always turn around and I think that they all actually listen to your show no matter what uh because <laughs> it is so good and sometimes I forget how good your show is. Like there's just so many Bitcoin podcasts and then you like you you just kind of get caught up in other stuff and then you come back and you're like, "Yep, nope, still so fucking awesome." Do you know what's really funny? I love it when they're like yeah, Pete, he's a fucking idiot. And in this show, he said that. And then in this show, he said that. I'm like, well, you're still listening to every show. <laughs> why, why the fuck are you listening to it? I don't know. I think some people just want to hate. I think if it wasn't me, it'd be somebody else. You know, I tell you what you find. When you find someone who's a real, like, genuine hater, if you just go and look on their Twitter timeline, they're hating on everyone and everything. They're just, the whole day is like, mm-hmm. fuck you, this person's an idiot. You get a genuine person, like, gives good criticism, like Shinobi did with me and... Like Mr. Hoddle has done sometimes, you know when they're criticizing, it's it's something you need to pay attention to. And so I've learned who to pay attention to and who who to ignore. Plus, you get to say just scoreboard on everyone just to dunk on them. So yeah, it's like fucking look at my downloads and yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but no, the other yeah, thing is that. it's like it's what, <laughs> but no. But also one of the things is I you know I think every other person who runs a podcast also knows that if they've reached out to me and asked for any help, I've given them it. And I'm you know I think we we grow this together right it's like you don't grow your show at the expense of anyone else you just grow the whole space together so like if when people are like oh pete you're so pete shows bullshit like uh, marty's better or uh stefan's better they don't actually realize in the background we all talk and try and help each other and mm-hmm. improve our shows and mm-hmm. and i think also you know i'm not going to take credit for it because i i'm inspired by other podcasts but you know, you look across the space now, lots of people are doing banners for their shows a bit like mine. People are doing specials and series like mine. Like, so even if you don't like, like my show, I think it, you could at least give me some credit for maybe professionalizing it a bit more. Is that fair? Absolutely. And I would say like podcasters, especially uh, rely on other podcasts the most, uh, like mm-hmm. because pod- podcasting is its own topic to talk about which we're already doing right now. Uh, and it's, and the reason why we can talk about it is because our listeners by definition are also the podcast community. And so mm-hmm. it's still like relatively relevant to everyone. Uh, yeah. so I'm hoping the listening listeners right now are talking about, Oh yeah, like this is interesting to me rather than just like, why are they not talking about crypto and Bitcoin? Hopefully. Well, so, yeah. So I had uh, a show that went out yesterday with Paul Pui from edge wallet. Right. And this guy commented on, um, uh, YouTube, he, he put a comment, goes, he goes, what are you talking about? I'm 29 minutes in, you haven't even once, once mentioned Bitcoin. And do you know what? I was like, oh, cool, great. So we did 29 minutes without Bitcoin. I think that's fucking great. I think mm. it's awesome to talk about other things. So, you know, I, I want to know about the people and the personalities involved. And I think, I think Bitcoin is, has some kind of cultural elements to it, you know, related to health and diet and well-being. And I mm. think you, the more you go in, the more you uncover about that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that I can do 29 minutes without mentioning Bitcoin once. Absolutely. Not too long ago, we had an episode that was, we started talking about crypto prices, but then after that, that was it. And we talked about like how crypto, the industry at large, doesn't have like an education system, which means that everyone, I called it like open source education. And we linked that to like the failure of colleges. And, and then we talked about nutrition and how science doesn't work in the very well in the world of nutrition and all of these things aren't crypto related but they're all super tangential just because of Mm. how large the scope of crypto is like you mentioned like bitcoin has like implications with when it comes to like nutrition uh and we we didn't talk about that but we talked about like how science fails in nutrition and and how like and kind of alluded to how like a crypto world does impact that world and it's like it's kind of a testament to like how big this industry can become because it literally has to do with everything yeah, I mean, you learn about time preference. So then when you learn about time preference, you consider your health or your well-being or your diet or, you know, your purchasing habits. Yeah, I think, it, you know, I think it's super interesting. Um, also, the other thing is you, you can't really take criticism to heart. You can't take one guy complaining and think, okay, I need to change what I do because, you, you know, people will complain before they'll say thank you. So mm-hmm. I think you just, 
you know, I think you just need to just go with your gut feel and somebody doesn't like the show. Like the other thing I always say, look, I do 10 shows a month. If you don't like that one, skip that one. Go and listen to POV. Go and listen to <laughs> Stefan. Go to somebody else. It's, like there's plenty of other fucking shows out there. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, stop bitching. <laughs> so while we're kind of on this topic, um, Peter, the way that we yep. met is we actually kind of worked together when you were first starting to launch uh, mm-hmm. what Bitcoin did and, since then, yep. you know, it's grown. And I remember when we were initially talking, you would always be like, you know, I want, I, you're, you're always gunning for lower shin spot as kind of like the the most downloaded crypto podcast. Um, and you, you wanted to take it up another notch um, as like a Bitcoin podcaster. I would love to talk about a little bit, like what was the journey of like kind of going from zero to 100 at the end of 2017 and, um, you know, growing this brand out and now you have multiple brands. Yeah, so it was really interesting. So, um, so in I think what I should be clear about is like it's not about taking Laura down. It was more about like aspiring to what she's achieved. You know, when when I first started listening to crypto podcasts, Laura's was the first one I listened to, and I think you know she gets some criticism sometimes, but she's done some great shows. The one we did, she did with Naval was great. I think the one she did with the Vinkelvoss was really good. Um, like she's done really memorable shows to me. And she was also super supportive to me at the start. If I ever reached out or I said I needed something, she'd always get back to me. Um, so I always like set her as like my target in terms of, right, you are widely recognized as the, the podcast person in crypto. So I want to be the same. Like I want to be recognized like you are. And then what happened along the journey is I kind of went to the Bitcoin thing. So I wanted to be widely recognized as the Bitcoin podcast. And the reason being is that if you think commercially, you know, get a, if you just be really honest with yourself and say, this is a business, you know, if you've got the number one spot, you've got a very good opportunity with advertisers then to command a good enough income that gives you a lot of freedom. And the freedom it gives me is the ability to not have a day job, to travel and do my interviews in person, to meet the best people, and also then to grow the brand. So it's a very strange journey. And it, it went in different kind of it went in different ways like there's there's like almost like chapters to it because there wasn't one big plan like chapter one was oh i think i want to do a podcast and i reached out to my buddy rich roll and he gave me some tips on what to do and i bought the equipment interviewed um uh luke martin and then interviewed nick patel and you know i just did my first few i would say that's chapter one i would say then chapter two started when i interviewed lynn albrick i went out to austin and did that because I did so much prep for that as an interview and that wasn't even a Bitcoin interview. I know Ross is tied to Bitcoin, but it wasn't a Bitcoin interview. It was a, it was a human story. And I, you know, videoed it. It was on Ross's birthday coincidentally. And I left that interview thinking, right, okay, this is, I really enjoy this. I think this is quite serious as a subject. Like I want to be a, you know, I want to, I always struggle with the term journalist, but let's just run it. I want to be a journalist. I want to be somebody who interviews people. And I also knew at that point I wanted to get out of Bitcoin and crypto at some point. Like I wanted to do other interviews. I didn't want to be constrained. And then I say the next chapter started when I interviewed Eric Voorhees for the first time for two reasons. Firstly, that was the first time that a big guest, they came direct to me. You know, I was hustling, dude. Like You don't remember all the conversations we used to have every week. I was hustling hard. You know, the PR team came to me and said, look, Eric wants to come on your show. Can you do it? So that, that meant a lot. Also, that month was the first time I was uh, matched up with uh, Let's Talk Bitcoin. And also, I got my first check for my first invoice. So again, that was like, that was like okay, this is now a business. I can, make, I can genuinely make money from it. And around that time, I suddenly realized, okay, if I'm going to take this seriously, what are the things I need to do very well? I need to have the best guess. I need to develop my interview uh, technique. You know, I need to be good at marketing. I need to have a sales, like I need to run it like a business. So that was kind of that chapter. And then that kind of went for the next, you know, whatever, a few months. And then I would say that we're probably on like chapter five now. Chapter five is the expansion into defiance. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's creating a, like a new brand and, and, and seeing if I can replicate what I've done with what Bitcoin did and also see if I can create a platform. So does that make sense? It's kind of like in chapters, but it's, it's almost like I didn't know what chapters were coming as I was doing each one. I just, they just happened. Absolutely. Uh, so, so with all, all these chapters, what would you say was like the big zero to one moment? Like, I guess you kind of maybe, maybe hinted at it at the end where like you had Eric Voorhees and then you also got paid and then, and then that allowed you to really consider what you could do with this. 
But when, when did this become, uh, when did the vision of what Bitcoin did really start to like become concrete? Um, hmm. That's a really, that's a really hard thing to answer because I don't think there was a specific time. It just kind of happened in a wave. You know, I, th I would say between Eric Voorhees and, and launching the Defiance, it just, it just became a, like, like this wave. I started doing my income reports, which made me have to focus because I knew they'll be public and I knew I'd be judged on them. So that kind of made me focus. But I can't tell you there is a, a specific moment in time because, you know, I've worked so hard this last few years. I mean, Christian knows the hours I put in. I'm doing 60 to 80 hours. I'm living on. I mean, I think I've done 70 flights this year. So it, whatever anyone thinks about my, my work, what they can't say is I don't work my fucking balls off, right? I, you know, I'm tomorrow, no, Monday, I'm going to fly to San Francisco in the morning, and then I'm going to get the red eye to New York. And then I've got to do two interviews on, on the Tuesday. Then I'm going to do three on the Wednesday, and then two on the Thursday, and then another one on the Friday. Then I fly back to London, okay? And then I'm going to be in London and then go to Ireland and be with my kids, just have some time off. And then, then I'm going to be traveling back in November. I'm heading out to, I'm going to go to Boston, then to LA, then to Hawaii, then to New Zealand, and then maybe to Nigeria, then home. I like, you know, Jesus. I'm really fucking putting the work in. Uh -huh. um, and I've always done that. So um, there's, there's, zero, there's, there's no zero to one moment. There's just lots of really, really hard work. Mm-hmm. So one thing I do have to tip my hat to you for is that you really know uh, where to put your finger to find the pulse. Uh, I know Defiance just kind of started, so maybe it's a little bit too soon to claim victory, but I have super high hopes with, with what you can do to Defiance. And I think it's really coming at a kind of a pivotal moment in history, right? Like we have Hong Kong making, you know, making absolute history with what's going on there. Uh, you know, we mm -hmm. have, you know, people are going to allude to the American political system. Uh, I think in, with some amount of defiance, both from the, the left being defiant to the right and vice versa, like people, it's, it's just kind of the time to be defiant right now. And especially as the questions of like big government come into the forefront, which I think is happening everywhere. Like it's kind of now, um, uh, I think becoming a question is like, okay, like who are the powers that be and, and do we have to listen to them? And I think that's becoming, a, that's been becoming a conversation for the past five years and it's really coming to the forefront now. So I think, I yeah. think Defiant as a podcast is, is really primed to kind of capture some of that attention. Yeah. I'm really super confident for Defiance. You know, it was a long time in the working. I mean, Christian knows how long ago I've been thinking about a new show. Like it's been, it's probably taken at least a year to come to fruition because I knew I wanted to do a, no, a new show. I couldn't really get the brand right. And then what happened was I was getting to know Alex Gladstein at the Human Rights Foundation very well. And he invited me out to the Freedom Forum in Oslo. And I was just spending time with all these cool people. And I was like, do you know what? Do you know what? This stuff's really super important, but it feels like it aligns with Bitcoin. So it was just kind of the next natural step is to have a show which is has Bitcoin as part of it, but it's not a Bitcoin show. It's a because one of the other things is like I've gone from crypto to Bitcoin and now I'm even trying to stop thinking about, I was talking about this somebody yesterday, yesterday saying, I don't want to think about a Bitcoin space. What I want to think about is a almost like a defiant space, like a anarchist libertarian space of which Bitcoin is part of. But in that we've got gun rights, sex worker rights, you know, uh, drug laws, um, like views on government, I, I, you know, and, and that's, where i'm really i think bitcoin will actually grow and succeed at being part of that rather than you know going to all these conferences where you've got bitcoiners talking to bitcoiners about bitcoin that's all we've got and it's just this like circular debate of mm -hmm. like these people should be debating it and then there should be people like me perhaps going out and just talking about it to other communities to help grow it mm -hmm. um i think the time is right i think the left v right bullshit politics is is starting to get on everyone's nerves it shouldn't be left v right politics it should be us versus the government that's totally. what we should be doing and um you're right about Hong Kong. It's this most terrible and beautiful thing at the same time. It's obviously awful what's going on there, but it's beautiful to see a, a group of people stand up and say, no, fuck you. We're not having this. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be part of this bullshit. So yeah, I'm super excited about Defiance. You know, I, I want to expand it beyond just a podcast. I want to do a platform. I want to do news. I want to do video. Um, I think it could be something people really get behind. And yeah, I, I find it really exciting. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it seems to me almost like a, a, a Vice News, like in an early days Vice News before it kind of got a little wrecked. But with that 
the reality of Bitcoin being acknowledged too, just because yeah. um, I think that we live in a Bitcoin world now. Like we, we have we to do. change our assumptions and because Bitcoin exists now, you know, that is, is just going to continue to be a powerful thread in defiance and in the restructuring of society. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a, I was a huge uh, Vice fan. I don't, you know, I haven't watched it so much recently. I haven't followed it. Um, I think some of Shane Smith's early work and some of the stuff they did in North Korea is some of the best journalism I've ever seen. You know, they managed to cr- take tough subjects, add a layer of creativity on top to make you interested and then learn about what's happened in these countries. I think it's brilliant. I think they lost their way a little bit. Um, but I, th- I don't, I think you can be, I think you can be kind of, crazy and anarchist and rebel with the way you produce content but but you can't scale that you can't scale that into a vice vice you can't scale what vice were doing in the early days into a global huge business it just doesn't work because of the structures will break down and you could it's like when i had an advertising agency right up until like 18 people we were crazy and rebel and brilliant because we could just do what the fuck we wanted because we all sat together once you get like towards 30 you have cliques form and groups and you have layers of bureaucracy that stop that and I think that's what happened to Vice. Um, and I certainly think there's a gap in the market. I'm, I'm going for it. it. It's not, you know, I'm not trying to do, do what Vice did because I think this is a little bit different. But I'd certainly like their attitude. And, and like you say, Bitcoin is going to be in the DNA of it all. One thing you said there about uh, there's a gap in the market. And I think that's one of the magical things about podcasts is, um, and because, because there's a tension to give to a subject matter, by the people of the world, there is therefore money uh, to be captured by that attention. And so we don't have to go to like MSNBC, CNN, you know, and say like, hey, like I want to talk about Hong Kong because they're going to laugh you out. But because people of the people of the world want to hear about it and hear and consume content, somebody like you can come and produce that content and capture that value of that attention. And uh, I mean, with technologies like Libsyn, which I mean, it's, it's not permissionless, but it's relatively permissionless in the grand scheme of things. It really allows you to, to capital, like double down on that. Dude, anyone, anyone can become a media player now. And exactly. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I'm in a really funny place with media at the moment because you've got two, you've got two options. You've got state controlled media, which is obviously censored and bullshit. Mm-hmm. But then you have the free market for media, which in some, itself, in some ways, is also censored and bullshit. Because if you listen to Fox News, it's going to be very much with a conservative bias to please our audience, to, to, um, to ensure they kind of maintain their advertiser relationships. You go on MSNBC, it was going to be very liberal uh, for exactly the same reason. And the problem with that is, is that are they reporting the news factually and correctly or are they reporting it for commercial uh for for commercial goals so if you go and read about the trump impeachment you'll read about it in one way on fox news and read about it in another way on on msnbc so you never really know if you're getting the facts so it's a different kind of censorship it's it's not as bad as obviously state-controlled media is much worse but i still don't think this is great i mean the only place i think i go these days and really really trust the sources i really i think reuters you can trust but it's not accessible. And I, then there's the odd bit I like. I think sometimes the New York Times do some really good reporting. Like occasionally I'll see something from, you know, like the Miami Herald did with Epstein. But generally speaking, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm turned off the news because you just, you can't trust what the agenda is behind it. Whereas like us, we don't have an agenda, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we have our personal opinion and what we're trying to do. And, you know, we don't have big audiences, but at least we can be honest and do what the fuck we want. Totally. And then kind of continuing in this same vein, like so many of these ideas and using, using Bitcoin as an example, like Bitcoin receives, I mean, millions and millions and millions of dollars of free content and marketing from people like us who just produce content for the community. And the reason why it can do that is because of the insane demand for it. So like Bitcoin, Ethereum, all these blockchains that are getting free content produced for it have this like marketing budget that, that they can print out of thin air because of the demand for, for, for the content. And this, you know, it's not specific to crypto, right? Like the demand for Hong Kong content is there. Like people want to hear about this and it's not being satisfied by mainstream media because of the political interest. And so like the individuals, the, 
the uh, media companies that is like your podcast and our podcast that want to produce content like that, like, well, then, then we can get paid for that from our advertisers because we're going to capture the attention of people that want to listen to it. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're, you're absolutely fucking right. And I think this all kind of reflects a, a big change that's happening, you know. Like, I think people are starting to, I don't want to say woke, but I think people are starting to wake up to <laughs> what the bullshit is happening. So, you know, I think Bitcoin is an opportunity to, you know, separate your finances from the state. I think we're starting to see, we re, I think people are starting to really wake up and learn about how the state mismanages money and prints money and you know it's just bullshit so with a bitcoin is like a it's like a fuck you to that i think i think the ability to create twitter accounts or podcasts and create your own content is also a fuck you i i'm i'm getting a kind of feel from people that everyone's kind of fed up of all this fighting right all right we go out to portland and tifa are smashing the faces of uh republicans proud boys are coming and smashing it's just like come on what this is what the media wants and this is what the uh, the government wants. But actually, what we should be all doing is we should be working together against those people. We should be standing up to state control bullshit. I think also, I think what's going to come is, I think consumerism is changing, hopefully. Uh, and again, that's something that might come with Bitcoin and time preference, where people are like, do I really need to buy this shit? You know, do I really need to have all this shit in my house? You know, what do I really want? What, what, what are the things important to me? So, yeah, I just, I just, I, I, I my kind of like finger on the pulse feeling is there's like certain a group of people it might be small now but who are like we're fed up of this fucking shit you know we're just fed up of being lied to and taken advantage of so yeah perhaps defiance is coming at the right time for that peter um so talking about defiance um you i, I think that you are doing the important job of and i know that alex gladstein also really does this is like kind of pivoting bitcoin out of like investment and pivoting it out of um, trading and that kind of a narrative and you're pivoting it more towards something that I think the average person can empathize with and the majority of people in the world kind of need, right? Which is like talking about how this is infrastructure that um, enables freedom and preserves privacy rights and preserves, you know, property rights. And you kind of tie into that narrative more. Why do you think that's such an important narrative that we talk about now and do you think that that narrative is going to like propagate? Do you think that like more people are going to start talking about Bitcoin in, in that kind of light? Well, I think, I think there's a lot to like about libertarianism, right? Like the more I learn about it, this, it's very hard to argue against uh, certainly the base level arguments of libertarianism, property rights. It's, it's just, of course, I, de- I, I deserve to, uh, you know, every individual deserves to have property rights. It's like a basic fundamental that's like, how do you argue against that? Unless you're like a Marxist, I think it's really, really difficult to argue against that. I struggle with full anarchist libertarianism. I really do. I just, there's parts of it that I really struggle with. But we, like when I spoke to Eric Voorhees, we don't have to have that as a goal. A goal of less government is a great target. Just every year, 1%, 1%. Government's never going to do that. Government always gets bigger, always creates more rules. So one of the great things about Bitcoin is that if more people start using Bitcoin, the state is going to have less money. They're going to have to choose how to spend their money wisely. So they're going to have to self-discipline. I think one of the most interesting parts of this all is, we've, like Rogan says this, we've, we've never lived in such an amazing time and everyone's pissed off, Right. You've got earpods, I've got earpods, we've got iPhones, we've got cars, we've got fucking kids have got iPads. Like I didn't have fuck all as a kid, right? <laughs> kids, my kids have got iPhones and iPads, they go to the cinema, they go out for dinner all the time. Like we're living in a very affluent time and everyone's still angry and pissed off. Okay. It's because parts of capitalism haven't delivered us the happiness that we want. Mm-hmm. And I also put social media into blame for that. So I, I just think I'm, I'm like I'm a capitalist, but I think I think it's really hard to put my finger on it, but I just think there's certain parts of life that's making everyone happy. And I don't know if it's the media. I don't know if it's social media. I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is, but I think there's certain things like to do with Bitcoin, which is certainly putting me back in a happier space. Right. So, so because of Bitcoin and learn about libertarianism, I'm thinking, I just, do I really give a fuck about buying this stuff now? You know, do I really care about a new car? Do I really care about, you know, having expensive trainers, all those kind of things. And that's leading me to just change my principles and the way I look at life. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, I think that's where like the the Bitcoin fixes this thing kind of you know comes into play. Yeah, and look, it's a journey. Like it's I'm like, and I've totally made this a public journey. You know, people are following what I'm going through in terms of like how I tweet and the podcasts I do and the questions I ask. I've done that on purpose. Just and the beliefs you have. Yeah, and and, and also my changing beliefs. You know, like mm-hmm. I was anti-gun. Now I understand. Like, and I'm happy to do that because. If you follow it in the right way, I'd, I'm not fighting anyone really. I'm not really arguing. I'm being open. I'm like opening myself to listen to people and and discuss things. And so one of the things what I want to do with Defiance, I don't want it to be this like fucking angry podcast. Like fuck you, we're gonna fight you, motherfuckers. I want it to be like we're standing up against this, but let's talk about it. You know, let's try and let's try and learn from each other. And these are the things you can do to help. And you know, hopefully everything ends in a peaceful process. But yeah, maybe not. Yeah, and kind of like on on that light of of you of you learning things because of Bitcoin and libertarianism and kind of like questioning consumerism to some degree. What would you think is like, or what would you say has been like the most pivotal kind of like lesson that you've learned? That's a really good question. Um, the most important, well, one of the most important lessons I've learned is to try and get both sides of the discussion. I'm really intrigued by what I call the, <laughs> the impossible subjects, right? So hmm. a really good example of an impossible subject is gun rights, especially in the US, right? Because there's a very good argument to allow people to own guns. And there's a very good argument to get rid of guns. And you've got people on both extremes that are very hard to move. You know, you'll have someone like Ragnar who's like, look, if I'm in my house, it's my property. I should have the right to own a gun. Should somebody break in, I, I protect my family. I'm like, how do you argue against that? Mm-hmm. And, and he also says, I should also have, be able to have the same weapons as authoritarian, uh, uh, authoritarian governments because if, if you know, sorry, if, if it's the same as a government because if they turn to, like, totalitarian, then I want to be able to defend myself. I'm like, yeah, that's a really good argument. Flip side, you could talk to somebody who might be like a mother of a child who was killed at Sandy Hook and say, look, what happens with guns and how are you going to argue against that? So you've got these impossible points where on the extremes, you can't turn people. But I think just the way people fight and debate things, I don't think it's particularly healthy. It's like, fuck you, you're right. No, fuck you, you're right. I'm going to punch you in the face like the, the Antifa approach. Mm-hmm. What I've done, say, with guns is I've spoken to both sides and I've learned a lot about it. And I've become educated about it. And there are other topics like that. Like abortion is one I'm very interested in at the moment, right? I've always felt like I'm pro-life. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't agree with abortion. Um, I got a girl pregnant when I was at university and she had an abortion without telling me. And I've never forgotten about it. Like in my head, it's like, oh, I would have a 22-year-old child, but now Were I you don't. you pro-life before that moment? Yeah, I've, I think I always have been, yeah. Um, and again, it's not one of those impossible subjects because I'm like, well, this is my view. And the question I put out on Twitter the other day is, if you're pro-life, but you hold that opinion silently, are you really pro-choice? Because you're not, like if you're pro-life, should you be campaigning pro-life? Hmm. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. so and then you know got a bunch of great responses but in there there's a couple of fuck you stay out of a woman's uterus you're a man stop trying to control mm-hmm. women blah 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 and i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not trying to control women i'm just trying to have the discussion and mm-hmm. i would happily sit down with that person and i'd happily sit down with pro-lifers and just just talk about it and find out what the real kind of problems are what are the solutions and yeah so one of the things i've learned is just to try and spend Try and spend your time on both sides of the argument and just see where you fit. Uh, I, I don't want to get into, I've done it, but I don't want to get into one of the extremes and be like, fuck you, motherfucker, I'm going to smash your face in because there's, so, there's so much of that now, so much fighting and it's a bit tiring. Have you read the Slate Star Codex blog, The Toxoplasma of Rage? No, please send me it. It's, it's a really good, yeah, it's really, really interesting. And it goes you know, through Let me all find these, it now. Yeah. Toxo... Uh, Plasma. Toxoplasma, one word, exactly as it sounds, of rage. Right. And so the, the basic model is that, uh, is the, the, the model that it uses that I think is most salient is um, the, you know, uh, the 9-11 happens. And so then we go and we bomb a bunch of, of uh, Arabs in Arab countries, and that makes them pissed off. And so there are more jihadists as a result of what we do. And so because there are more jihadists, there are more people attacking America so now we need to boost up our funding for attacking jihadists. And then we go bomb jihadists, and then that makes more of them. And it turns into this cycle. 
And we can cool. see this with like abortion. We can see this with the first example they use is, is animal rights and PETA. The reason why PETA is known is because they've understood that this cycle exists. And so they make a bunch of noise, which make a bunch of people hate PETA, which puts a lot of attention on PETA, which puts a lot of attention on animal rights, which generates more PETA people. And it just, this cycle happens and happens and happens. And because of the virality of social media and because of like, you know, 240 characters in a tweet isn't that much. We have this like breeding ground for rage. Uh, and this, this, uh, it actually started the toxoplasma. It's like a virus. And, uh, I think I got, I think I'm going to can do this right. So like the virus lives in cats and it gets pissed out in cat urine and then it's eaten by, or it's like captures onto some animal and then it turns into its other form. And that makes that one animal, I think it's a rat, much more rabid and goes and bites cats again to feed it back into the cat. So it's literally a virus that feeds off the same mechanism. And like we can see this in going on in the brains of people everywhere across the world. And until we we're animals, out, dude. Yeah, we're animals. It's just we're, we're this. It's the same. It's the same pattern. It's the same fractal. And well, think about we it like this. Figure out how to capture this cycle. I think we're going to succumb to it. Think about it like this. Right. Do you like ice hockey? Not particularly. Chris, do you like ice hockey? Fun to watch live. So, so if you want to watch, you want to watch the ice hockey game. What's going to be the best bit? What do you what's mean, like? Uh, yeah. What's the best bit of the uh, ice hockey match? Oh, uh, oh yeah, slam against the wall. Exactly. Yeah. Like, being every, up close. Yeah, everyone when they go to the hockey, like, was there a fight? It's not like, what was the score? <laughs> like, was there a fight? Yeah, there was a fight. Yeah. He smashed his teeth in, blah, blah. Like, people love NASCAR? the fight for the crashes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I want to see the crashes. Like, yeah. you know, we have this perverse curiosity with, like, bullshit, right? And seeing, <laughs> seeing people fight. Like, it's just the way we are. But, and there's, like, an inertia to, like, not fight. You know, when Antifa and Power Boys are beating the shit out of each other, it's not over any principle. They just want to have a fight, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, if people, principal people would first just say, look, let's talk about this situation. Can we get through this situation without fighting? What, can we, what do we agree on? What do we not, not agree on? Where can we find middle ground? That's what people with principles probably would do. This principle of, like, no, I'm going to smash you with a bike lock because, you know, because you're a Republican, you might end up like a Nazi. That's not. That's just a fucking excuse. You just want to fight. You're a violent human, yeah. and you're you know you're a dick. Yeah, we just need more peacemakers. You know, it's like it's like if you watch soccer, right? And uh, God, I'm saying soccer. Fuck my life. You watch <laughs> soccer, and there's a and there's a like a fight kicks off. Most people just want to jump in and stuff. And occasionally, you're gonna have like two or three people just gonna try and separate them and say, "Come on, let's not fight." Mm-hmm. We just need more people. Just saying, "Come on, let's not fight." Let's, can we stop mm-hmm. fucking fighting. Is that what Bitcoin is saying? Is Bitcoin how this is fixed? I don't know, man. Bitcoin. Has I mean, a lot I think what, what you were kind of saying earlier with like, okay, let's let's step away from the consumers and the cycle of consumerism, and let's let's step away from you know giving power to the governments. I feel like the whole Bitcoin culture, the the hard money culture, is a little bit about like makes you question like what what really matters. Like, do I really need to get angry right now? Like, uh, maybe I'm making a huge leap, but uh, I think I think there are some connections to be made there. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Just like. I think sometimes some people need to reassess their lives and say, what is important? What isn't important? You know, what am I, what do I want? What do I not, what makes me happy? <laughs> Maybe it just comes with age. Maybe it's just, I'm getting old. And I'm like, you know, for example, I hate my fucking phone now. I really hate my fucking phone and my relationship with my phone. I've just bought one of these light phones, which I'm waiting to get delivered, which all it does is you can text, call and have an alarm. And I think they're adding in music and taxis, right? so like mission critical stuff yeah so you can book your uber you can listen to your music but you don't have any of the like alerts of bullshit no social media no email no games like nothing that's just going to ruin your day and i'm like i I cannot wait to get it because i'm addicted to it like i was addicted to my jewel so i'm like a week now into giving up my jewel which honestly is fucking hard and and I had to I had to literally throw it in the bin as I got a plane to San Francisco because I knew I couldn't buy one right. So I'm a week in, and that's changing my life. You know, I've got the, this new phone. I'm just trying to like personally change the things, my priorities in life. And I just think that yeah, maybe other people need to do that rather than fighting. David kind of talked about this idea of like Bitcoin fixes this, and you kind of bringing up some examples of how you've instrumented long term thinking. Like there is this argument that right now you mentioned again like capitalism has failed people. I don't think that we're in real capitalism because we don't have market chosen money. The money printing and the, I I call it time preference manipulation, but 
interest rate manipulation, like all that stuff, like that distorts capitalism. And I think capitalism gets like the blame from, you know, especially the kind of like leftist uh, group among us. But ultimately, it's not this idea of people trading that is messing them up. I think it's really like the socialist aspect of money printing and uh, money control, for, like a top-down money control uh, that's distorting what people actually want. And is it's manipulating their time preference up. Um, so that way, they're thinking about today instead of tomorrow. And that's what hard money and that's what Bitcoin uh, tries to rebalance. Yeah, potentially. I mean, this Bitcoin fixes it. It's a funny meme. But actually, Bitcoin really doesn't fix it fix much it's you as an individual that fixes stuff you know the stuff you want to fix it's not bitcoin doing it's you yourself right it's the decisions you make um you know big you know bitcoin is like a tool and that's that's all it is as a tool and you know i'll be interested to see where we are in another 10 years i'll be interested to see if it's changed much like i hope it does i sometimes wonder if we're overly optimistic about what it can do um, I don't know. It's a t- it's a tough one. I struggle to like really articulate my my views on that. I'm relentlessly chewing gum these days. This is what I'm using to get over my jewel. <laughs> yeah, you guys are just listening to this. Peter held out uh, a bunch of Trident. So yeah, yeah. three packs. I've got bubble gum, strawberry, and some mint bullshit. I'm going through like I really. I, I think mint is the only way to go. Fruit gum, like what the fuck is that? Oh, bubble <laughs> so gum's good. I like the bubble. The gum. sugar proxy. I'm a big, I was a, I worked in mental health before I worked in crypto. And so I'm a big fan of like, if you're trying to quit something, you need to fill that void. And if you don't fill that void, it's going to be really hard to, to get out of it. So if you're trying to like quit candy or quit drooling, you need something to replace that energy or else you're just going to fall right back into it. Exactly. Well, so what I did is the first couple of days of giving up the jewel, I was smoking cigarettes again. I was like, hold on, I'm fucking smoking cigarettes to give up jewel. <laughs> the irony, it's like that cycle. So the irony is, so I threw them away and I'm like, I'm like, I think I'm like four days now without nicotine. And yeah, it's just, uh, if you're a hardcore smoker, it's a tough thing to get over. Totally. Peter, uh, kind of on the same topic, uh, like we're kind of dancing on these topics, but um, kind of bringing it back to how like people's discourse and specifically people's discourse within the, the Bitcoin community. Uh, on multiple occasions, you've kind of been on the receiving end of an angry Twitter mob, mostly of Bitcoiners, but not always. I'd love to like kind of dig into that a little bit. Like personally, I would consider myself a very strong Bitcoiner, but at the same time, like I'm, I'd, I wouldn't consider myself part of the mob. Try to be nuanced. That's not everyone. That's definitely not everyone in the Bitcoin community. Yeah, I seem to have a way of getting under people's skin a little bit, um, and I've tried to wonder, like, find out what it is. Uh, I think I, I am provocative at times, so that's you know I bring it on myself. I also wonder, like, the podcast grew very quickly, so obviously I ended up getting a you know, a following that comes with that. And um, like, if you go into something like Hive One, and you just just go and see where say i am in the bitcoin listing like i'm surrounded by people who've been into bitcoin hardcore and heavily involved for years right so maybe i haven't earned my stripes maybe you know when you hear like that meme or oh i just discovered bitcoin i'm here to fix it kind of thing so um so i just put out ideas and, and sometimes they get people wound up and sometimes i think they're right and sometimes they're wrong so we had the whole two bitcoin thing where i was like oh I think we need to do something about the fact that when people go to Coinbase, they see two Bitcoins and people got so really fucking upset about that. And I was like, well, <laughs> hold on a second. I take a phone call in the morning and somebody said, um, I'm going to get some Bitcoin, but there's two on Coinbase. I'm going to go for Bitcoin cash because it's cheaper. And I was like, so to what I said, I've made a factually correct statement. There are two Bitcoins on the homepage of Coinbase and this is a problem. How do we educate people? And all the bullshit I got off that and the memeing I got for that, I just think it was absolutely fucking ridiculous. And I stand by it. And if, like anyone has a go at me, I'll, I'm, I'll stand by that statement because it's factually true. There's no like, it's not like I've suggested something which is controversial. I've pointed out something that's factually true and I've explained Wait. the experience to somebody. People are upset because you said there are two Bitcoins and people yeah, are going to be like, no, there's only one Bitcoin. Is that is what they're getting mad about? Yeah, you're a fucking idiot. There's only one Bitcoin. You fucking <laughs> idiot. Like, it's like, come on. No, they're, then they're like, well, if you there's not one, then there's, there's not two. There's like 10. I was like, look, I don't care how many you say there are. Coinbase homepage, the most, the place where most people go, there's two Bitcoins. And that's entirely what I was talking about. So there, the mob's wrong. When the mob went at me for interviewing Peter Ryzen, again, they're wrong. Nobody should be scared of an interview. 
nobody should be bullying people not to do interviews. Even fucking Craig right now. I still interview him again because there's no, this whole giving them a platform again, they're wrong. You should interview who you want. Mm-hmm. When I said about um, maybe some kind of negotiation should happen with Roger Ver, you know, like this fighting between Bitcoin Cash has not achieved anything. How about do a deal, convince Roger to change the name to Bcash because it's separate, uh, get control of the .com and the app. And, you know, I, I made a suggestion that I think I was in the wrong. I think, I think the way the mob went at me for that, they were right. Uh, I think with nodes, they were entirely wrong. Now, the thing about the nodes ki- that killed me is that, of course, I can fucking set up a node, right? It's not a hard thing to do. If I can set up a computer, if I can set up a TV, if I can code a website, if I can engineer a podcast, like I can figure these things out. But what is the, how, how does that help anyone? What helps people is going, hmm, I've thought about doing a node, but I haven't, right? What are the reasons I haven't? Well, and just, you know, brainstorming the reasons and doing a tweet storm and seeing what happens. But the problem is you've got people who, usually people who are low achieving morons who just come out and just use it as a reason to attack you. Like, their life sucks. They haven't achieved anything. Right. You know, this is why I'm li- better than Peter. I yeah. Can <laughs> I, yeah. I can set up a node. He's so fucking stupid. Why does anyone <laughs> listen to my show? It's because, you know, like if you follow any, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not stupid, right? If you follow my Twitter, everything I'm tweeting about, I'm probably making a show about three weeks later, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's part of the prep. But so they lose their shit and then they're like, you know, why does anyone go on this show? We can't even set up a node. It's like, I've got fucking three nodes set up in my house that I set up on my own, right? But to help yeah, people... You're on the plane 50% of your life. Yeah, but to help people, I talked about all the things that might be a problem. And then I do a show with Brian Lockhart to talk about it. And then I do a node giveaway. And they, oh, so all of a sudden, a bunch of people are starting to run nodes that weren't running them before. So mm-hmm. whatever you say about that process, more people are now running nodes than before I did that. Mm-hmm. It's factually true. So what is your problem? And I think most of it is that hate mobs come from people who've just got shitty lies. More, you know, and you can tell the difference because of how they criticize you. Or everything's a nail. And yeah. they only have one tool. And, and their life sucks. They're, you know, it just, it's just shit. Most of the angry people that you tend to find, their life is shit. They've not achieved anything. They're seeing other people achieve stuff and they've got green envy. You know, they might mm. see me like flying around the world and doing these interviews and they're like, I wish I could do that. I'm smarter than Pete. I know more about Bitcoin. Why is he doing I'm not. Fucking, I'm going to attack him then. Mm-hmm. Rather than realize like, okay, well, you've got that skill. My skill's marketing. Like we all have different skills. Mm. Um, but yeah, just... I don't know. They just need to, most of them, I just tell them to fuck off and just focus on their own life. If they weren't like, if they focus on their own life, they wouldn't be such a loser and then they wouldn't have to attack other people. Have you ever uh, been attacked by the Ethereum mob? Uh, no, I no, Cause my Ethereum thing is more banter. Yeah. I, just, I tease them and they tease me. Yeah, back. You just like to poke, poke at them. Yeah. So, and that, that's more just a bit of fun. <laughs> the truth about Ethereum is I don't know. I'm, you know, god here's the meme pete's not technical i, I can't <laughs> technically break down why i don't like it um mm-hmm. i can't with most projects my my problem with ethereum is that just gut feel is like from everything i've been taught about a blockchain it doesn't make sense to put so much data on it what makes sense is if you want something decentralized you want to keep it as light as possible if you want as little data on it as possible and then mm-hmm. I read all about Ethereum 2 and it's going to be moving to proof of stake and then they're going to have shards and what happens to Ethereum 1. I'm like, this just sounds like a clusterfuck. It just <laughs> sounds like a huge, giant mess. For what That's how I would fit. describe decentralized coordination is, is by definition, it has to be a clusterfuck. There's no way decentralized coordination would go well. But I look at Bitcoin, right? I'm like, all right, 10 years, pretty much consistently, every right. 10 minutes yeah. producing a block, very few problems, very few drama. I mean, there's been hacks, right? Mm-hmm. But the protocol itself has had very, very few problems mm-hmm. because the blockchain was a specific design to solve a specific problem, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, if I try and explain it, I'll get it wrong. But, you know, solving the double spend was mm-hmm. a very big you know, that was a that was a that's a very important step to overcome. Uh, Shinobi last night was talking about the um, difficulty adjustment was was like a very important invention as part of Bitcoin. But this is a very specific design to create immutable hard money. Okay, to take that and think that's a reason to like I get the theory. It's like oh, we've got decentralized money. That's cool. Okay, what about decentralized apps? Oh, you could build a Twitter that you can't shut down or websites that you can't. Shut- that sounds 
it makes sense mm. and we can democratize finance again it makes sense i'm like i understand what the goal was it just hasn't really played out like that the, the democratization of finance really has just been a bunch of people getting ripped off and losing money on stupid ideas nobody's actually managed to create anything usable that people really care about because in the end i don't think people care about decentralization they really fucking don't you know face how many times facebook done stupid shit and we still got facebook accounts how often is our uh, our data i think i think we've all just become like okay we're gonna get hacked occasionally i'm someone's gonna take my credit card and my bank's gonna fix it all right fuck it that's the way it is i think we've just become apathetic to it so i get the the dream i just don't think it's achievable and I think the problem is, is that even someone like Vitalik, if he was really honest with himself, he might be there going, hmm, I think, I think we might be fucked here. I don't think we can do this. <laughs> but can he do that? Can he come out and say, you know what? Sorry, everyone. This is a shit idea. We need to duck. Of course he can't because he's a billionaire off it. So he, what he has no, to do. I'm, I'm going to go with this because he doesn't think it's a shit idea. Well, I, I, but even if he did, just say he did. Mm-hmm. So, same with Charlie Lee. Say if Charlie Lee didn't think Litecoin's a great mm-hmm. idea. Say if Fluffy didn't think Monero. I'm not saying any of these people mm-hmm. do or they don't. What I'm saying is it's so hard for these people to turn around now and go, this was a shit idea. I'm going to change my mind. I, I understand the, the, the passion of the Ethereum community. I just don't think it's going to play out how they, they hope it will. And mm-hmm. from the people I've spoken to, it's not really that decentralized anymore. Like, what, how many fully validated nodes are there now? Really? Is it like 10? No, what? no, it's thousands, thousands of them. Mm, fully? Yeah. Yes, mm. yes, yes. Okay, so somebody I spoke to said there's like 10 and they're all in data centers. And I've just watched Eric Wall try and yeah, see that's, that's just not right. Mm. Well, sorry. But, but at, and, you know, and the, the rate of growth of data in these um, f- mm. fully mm. validated nodes, like, it just sounds so fucking complicated for what benefit. Mm. It's almost like it feels like to achieve what they want to do, it has to be centralized. Therefore, what have you actually created? Well, yeah. So, but, I mean, so comparing Bitcoin to Ethereum is just a little bit of apples and oranges, right? It's because like Bitcoin is supposed to be decentralized from day one maximally. Uh, and But with Ethereum, we have all these complicated... It definitely was not. It was, it was not it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be one. as decentralized as possible at all times. And so, like you know, we're at this at day one, it's going to be run by one computer. But like on day three, it can be run by three, and then and then that scales. And so the the whole difference is like, okay, we're rebuilding Ethereum too, so we can have all the things that we want when we get there. Uh, it's just a bunch of research. And the way I the way I described it is like Bitcoin is kind of like the Model T works super well. Uh, and and it's done really really good things. And it's, it's okay, Christian, stop stop shaking your head. It's not the best not the best comparison. But like we have this thing that works, and now that we have this thing that works, it was really really valuable, and everyone can use it. But uh, the way that like the Model T turned into a car is you added a bunch of complexity at the same time when you figured out how to control that complexity. Uh, then you have this you know Ferrari is what we're going for. Not to say that Bitcoin is a Model T. Bitcoin is like the dependable thing that will never break and will always run and everyone can use it at all times. And that's already hyper valuable. But like what happens if we can add complexity and control complexity at the same time and iterate on it? That's the vision of do, Ethereum. Do you know what the truth is? I just don't fucking care, honestly, yeah. because I'll tell yeah. you why not, not just to be dismissive. I just like Bitcoin itself is enough to try and get my head around mm. that. And then even, like, I, I'm not just, like the the, the full-on maxis like mm-hmm. you know i think there's some value in looking into ethereum seeing we are is it is is it good is it bad it's probably bad but is it this but i just don't have the time and actually if anything like somebody somebody lost their shit with me the other day they messaged me privately they're like will you take a look at nano what do you think about it's like just another shit coin and then he like published my messages and I, he was like i'll send you some you can look at that i said look no no i'm not interested but good luck to you Mm-hmm. He just shares part of the message publicly mm-hmm. to try and shame me to say, right. oh, it's like I don't have the fucking time. And right. if I have more time, what's important to me? It's just know, not your hobby. No, well, it's not your it's, hobby. It's not my hobby or my career. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't see big, the problem I've got is like, I see Nano and Ethereum. I see them as companies. I just see mm-hmm. them as corporate entities. Whereas I see Bitcoin as, I don't see Bitcoin as that. So if I have more time, do I want to look at another blockchain mm-hmm. or do I want to read about what's happening with the Uyghurs in China? Or do I want to mm-hmm. read about what's happening in Hong Kong or, mm-hmm. you know, look at what's happening in Venezuela. And I, I, I've got more interest in that. So totally. I just, I've just got like a hard no on Ethereum now. I just don't have the time right. to do it, uh, uh, do it justice. 
And it's I, I would hope that like you can, you continue to have that attitude. And then one day, all of a sudden you, something happens on Ethereum or just like three or four years later, Ethereum's still around. And then all of a sudden, all right, like I'm done reading about Hong Kong. I'm done reading about whatever, like let's, let's take one afternoon and read some article about Ethereum. And then hopefully that sparks your interest. If- but it won't be in one article. That's the thing, and I can't ever see, uh, I can't ever see Ethereum being a pr- higher priority to me than some human rights or personal rights issue going on. Also, I just think it's fucked to be honest. Like everybody I speak to, like the problem is everyone's got a bias, right? So mm-hmm. once you're in it, you're in. Mm-hmm. So if you're in Ethereum, your bias is what is the solution? Right, this is what we're working on. Let's go towards that. If you're not, it's it's a problem. This is why it's fucked, right? There's very little objectivity. You know, there's very little Bitcoiners going, do you know what? Actually, I took a look at Ethereum and I think it's quite interesting. And there's very through, through ethers who are going, oh yeah, actually, I think we're fucked. I'm going to get away from this. <laughs> so you've just got these two sides. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just, I'm tr- as objective as I can be, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to be as objective as I can from the very little knowledge I have, it doesn't make sense to have so much data on a blockchain. It doesn't. And what are the I mean, unstoppable... But then, what, what, then why, why use a blockchain? Why not just use like a traditional Oracle database or an SQL database? I mean, it's much more efficient. For permissionlessness. Yeah, but have you really got that? Yeah. Well, it's coming more and more every single day. Mm. I just is, Well, is let's revisit any... this subject in a couple of years and we'll go from there. Yeah, or not. I don't even know. I don't know if the permissionlessness has fully been tested, um, but we'll see. Only time will tell. I know that part of David's thesis is that the government as an, as an enemy is far away, whereas a lot of Bitcoiners think that the government is around the corner. I want to, Peter, so you kind of like expressed apathy towards Ethereum. You just can't be bothered. You, you know, it's not your day job, whatever. Why is Bitcoin different? Why, like people are going to have to, you know, lawyers, whatever, doctors, plumbers, like what is going to interest them in Bitcoin and why are they not going to be interested in Ethereum? That's a good question. I mean, for me, again, I, I see Ethereum as a corporate project, whereas I see, I don't see Bitcoin as a corporate project. I see it as a, a project of the people. You know, when I think of Bitcoin, I think of Hong Kong protesters. When I think of Ethereum, I think of Burning Man. Silicon Valley. Yeah, Silicon Valley, Burning Man. I just, I see them as, like, I just see them as different things. The reason Bitcoin is so interesting to me is because we are watching the nature of money change before our eyes, which is fucking radical, right? Even with the internet, even when we knew magazines were going to go digital or music was going digital, it never, ever crossed my mind. Actually, someone might invent a new money. It just it never crossed my mind, ever. And that was super interesting because it's like, holy, holy fuck, someone's invented a new money and there is a genuine path to it becoming the most dominant money in the world or becoming the global reserve asset. Nobody knows if it's going to happen, but it might, right? And if it does, the, 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 nation, the entire nature of money for everyone on this planet is going to change. And right now, I, you know, I'm not going to say I have the best podcast because I, I think Marty's is better, but certainly I have one of the leading ones in terms of downloads so as a as a media opportunity i i get to i get to sit it's almost like i'm getting to sit in concord on its first flight i'm sitting in the cockpit behind the pilots like watching it as it takes off and as it first flight and how fucking fascinating is that i get to sit down with all the people who are making this happen and talk about it talk about what it means and then on top of that i get to launch defiance and actually talk to people who can benefit from this so just seeing the potential of the world improved because of having a better money and sitting in the front seat of this is fucking fascinating. I feel so unbelievably blessed to get to do this. Does that answer? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and Peter, if you have uh, any requests of, of our listeners or, or what you want them to do, where, where can they go find uh, defiance by the way? So defiance is at defiance.news. I don't have the .com yet because some other motherfuckers got that's going to be expensive, but is it defiance.news? Yeah. It's a weekly show at the moment. I've got, I'm making so many, though, that there'll probably be some bonus ones. I've had four great shows now. I've got Monday, I've got an interview with Jake Hanrahan, who used to work at Vice. He does a Popular Front podcast. Mm. It's amazing. So I've got that coming. I've got an interview it's the we've had a vacation. I mean, that's a good question. So I had a vacation in the summer. Me and the kids did uh, Cambodia and mm. Vietnam for three weeks. Um, okay. But in some ways, like, whilst I work hard, like, life is like a vac- vacation sometimes. Like, so right now, 
whilst I'm doing lots of flights, like I'm in Malibu, right? And I'm talking to you guys. And this is cool as fuck. It's not like work. And then I'm going to do some work and then I'm going to you know, maybe go for a jog and knock out for dinner. And so, so it's kind of like, I always feel like my life is like this permanent half vacation work thing, mm. always going on at the same time. Um, it's, it's a good life. Yeah, it's not like I, I, I again going back to Rogan. He talked about it once. He says like some people they don't really have jobs. Like a, for me, like a job is when I used to hammer handles on umbrellas. That was a job, right? <laughs> this is just um, I'm just in a very fortunate position where I get to do something I enjoy. Like I always think you can judge a, a job by whether you look at the clock. Mm. If you're looking at the clock, waiting for a you know like, like I used to do when I used to hammer handles on umbrellas. That's a job because it's fucking bullshit. But this is, mm-hmm. yeah, this isn't a job. This is just like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I can't put 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 my finger on it. But I I'm, I don't want anyone to play a violin for me because I feel very very lucky to do this. Yeah, I mean, kind of on that same note, like people always talk about work life balance, but I think that that's actually the wrong uh, ambition. You you want to you want to work in something that you're actually passionate about, so that way the balance doesn't matter. Like you should yeah. live in life. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, and they, they, that depends, right? Like, I love this job, right? But sometimes you, if you, you can't work your passion, so work something where you just make good fucking money. And then, then you can live your passion out afterwards. I think the most important thing you can ever do is get control of your time. Actually, two things. Get control of the time and have nobody to answer to. So I have control of my time, um, which is great. You know, I can choose to speak to you guys or not speak to you guys. I have commitments each week to get two shows out. But like, if I want to take the kids to school in the morning, I can, if I want to take an afternoon off and go to the cinema, I can, that's a really important thing to have. Then having the ability, the ability to tell people to fuck off is a really mm-hmm. cool ability. Like to, to have no one to have to control you. If you don't, if you disagree with someone, just tell them to fuck off. I think is a really important thing to have, you know, because, because that means you're completely independent and not controlled by someone. I mean, I've got certain things like I need to respect my sponsors not to piss them off, you know, not to upset them because you know, they pay for me to do this. But if someone comes at me on Twitter, I'm going to just tell them to fuck off. And I think that's a really good place to be able to do that, be able to stand up for yourself. So I think those two things are really important. Cool. Well, <laughs> we kind of deranged the outro, but we can still do it. Yeah, Peter, where, for, for those living under a rock, where can they find you? Yes, uh, two podcasts. It's What Bitcoin Did and Defiance. It's uh, whatbitcoindid.com, defiance.news. Uh, it's on every platform, Spotify, iTunes, Android, everything, even Deezer now. Um, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, God help you, because I'm fucking annoying, but go to at Peter McCormack. And uh, yeah, great. There's a great, great to be on, guys, by the way. You know, uh, Christian knows I've listened to your show before. I actually used one for for research as well. Um, I think you guys are doing a... Oh, which one? You, what was the one I did? Because I texted you, Christian. I think it was the Nick Badia. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually, oh, I actually interviewed I actually interviewed him yesterday. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah, but here in LA. I wasn't, yeah, yeah. But I wasn't, I didn't, here's what's research for interviewing somebody else, though. I can't remember what it was, but anyway, it was cool. But yeah, I'm, I don't actually listen to crypto podcasts. Um, I made a decision six months ago just to not do it because I didn't want to be, I wanted to produce something like individual. So I actually listen to other podcasts to get inspiration, but occasional shows I will listen to. But what I have noticed, you know, when someone goes, what's your favorite Bitcoin podcast? Or, I keep seeing your name coming up more and more now. So you're obviously like, mm. yeah, doing something right. No, oh, thanks for the kind words, sir. All right, man. Awesome. Well, that means a lot, especially uh, coming from someone who who's done it. You know, you've built the audience and you've uh, you, you've you've gone from zero to one hundred. And I respect and always take notes. Uh, so <laughs> well, you helped, but you were part it. of it, dude. Like uh, you actually were part of it. You were helping me for for a good fucking year. So you know, I owe, I owe a grat- debt of gratitude to you. Cool. Well, I mean, hey, always just trying to help over here. I, I All I do is I help famous people. Apparently, David over here going from zero to 4,000 followers on Twitter. Uh-huh. I got that Christian pull got on there, too. Twitter. So, nice. invisible hand over here. Mm-hmm. Nice, man. That's the puppeteer. <laughs> all right, y'all. Well, if you want to find the invisible hand on Twitter, at CK underscore snarks, you can find the show at POV CryptoPod. David, where can people find you? You can find me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. If you liked this show, please give us a five-star review. We're coming up on 100, not too far away now. Uh, We really appreciate that 100th five-star review. Peace. Thanks, Peter. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.
Will you just see?